everybody, and welcome to What's in Your Hometown, where we talk about the dirty little shit hiding in your backyard. Thanks so much for joining us this week. My name's Julia. This lovely, lovely creature sitting on my couch is Sam. Thank you. Yay. Uh, And we're really happy to have all of you with us this week. We are. We have gone through quite a bit of, like, (laughs) problems. (laughs) It's been been a week, y'all. We've been trying to record this episode for, what, the last two weeks? At least, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we met, like, what, four or five times, and every single time the audio went wrong. It did. So, if if it goes wrong this time, we may actually be haunted. I think I might have done something. <laughs> it was that Tim Anguish Man episode. It really was. Listen, I've just come to accept that my house is haunted. Um, I walked out... <laughs> It was really weird this morning. I walked out, speaking of what's in my backyard, I walked out on my porch to, like, get ready to come here, and there was, like, a cigarette in, like, Cody's little cigarette holder outside, because he smokes, but it was, like, half-smoked, and then was put out, but not, like, stamped out. The the ash was still on the end of the cigarette, and it was, like, meticulously placed there, and I was like, well, either somebody's about to murder me, or I actually am haunted, and either way... All right. <laughs> All right. So during the editing of the Anguished Man episode, <laughs> I was sitting in the dark by myself, which is never a smart thing for me. But while I was editing it, I heard this like loud crashing noise coming from my kitchen, <laughs> which ordinarily is a cat. But all three of my cats were in with me. Yeah. And Jeff was in the shower. Definitely not any of us. So I kind of wandered out to the kitchen to see what it was, and there was just this very loud banging coming from inside of my walls. Oh. And it's an interior wall. So I checked both sides of the wall. It wasn't anything that was there. It was just a loud, repetitive banging for a solid five minutes inside of my wall while I was trying to edit a freaking Cursed Objects episode. I mean, Cody and I have decided to go ahead and cleanse our house. We can bring that over here and cleanse yours as well. Can you, please? Because I feel like it's necessary at this point between Bloody Mary and oh yeah, no. all of all of this. I could use some sage. I like <laughs> weird things go on in my house. Cody wants to believe in the paranormal. Oh, it might not be me. It might actually be Cody because Cody wants to believe in the paranormal. So when he was younger, he actually was like sitting in his room doing a seance and was like, just give me any sign. And then all of his like all of his covers just flew off his bed and he was like, maybe. I was like, Cody. And so now he's like, like strange things happen in my house and we hear like strange noises and stuff. And I'm like, Cody, we're haunted. And he was like, I don't think we're haunted. And I was like, and it came from you because you invited something in and then just never fucking acknowledged it. Also, our basement is slowly flooding, which is concerning, but that's Bell Cross's problem. That's not my problem. <laughs> So, like, we have this one tub basin in in the middle of our basement. I mean, our basement's literally something from a horror movie. It's dark, there's spiders everywhere, the lights don't work, and then the fire doesn't work either. And there's just this one tub basin, like one of those little, like, white tub basins sitting in the middle of it. And one side of the entire basin is just black water. And then the other side is nothing. There's nothing in that side. And it's 
the creepiest shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> no, I don't I don't like that at all. And I'm not going to be that white girl that goes down there and be like, oh my, it must be stopped up. Let's put my hand in here and see if there's like a plug or something like that. <laughs> That's not how I'm going to die. Like, No. Mm-mm. All right. So anything else in your backyard? Oh, I forgot we were doing backyards. I was just talking about the weird shit in my house. So no. Okay. Uh, then go for it. Go, well, go, go, three girl. things. First and foremost, I went axe throwing a couple weekends ago, and that was so much fun, and I should never do it again. Oh. <laughs> All right. I mean, at least now, if something isn't in your house, you have, like, the quick way oh, to, like, Just throw a hatchet at it. it. It's great. I was sore for, like, a week. It was wonderful. Ugh. Secondly, as we're recording this, Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out in two days. Oh, it's nice. the only thing that I've ever been this excited about, ever in the history of everything. I know, because we've waited, what, 13. 12 years now? 13 years. 13. Oh, yeah. no. Well, anyway, I'm super excited for that. And I'm sure that you all can hear it in my voice how excited I am. <laughs> oh, it's, I mean, it's just law school's killed our souls. Yep. So now, like, everything's internal and we can't show it. <laughs> I don't even think that's it. I think it's just, like, my default is I can't be excited because I will be disappointed. <laughs> that's, true. that's true. And then third thing, super minor. But when this episode comes out, it'll be my birthday. It will be do, your do, do, birthday. Do, 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 do. Everybody needs to send like themselves singing the worst version of happy birthday they possibly can. <laughs> Please. Off key, make up your own lyrics. It doesn't even have to be in English. <laughs> Super bonus points if you can manage to halfway do the one from Futurama. Ooh. Super, super yep. bonus points. I love that show. That would be great. Love that show. Okay. That's what's in my backyard. Your backyard is significantly happier than mine. My backyard was like, I'm being haunted. <laughs> it's new. Cody's fault. I'm going to blame this on Cody and okay. not me saying Bloody Mary 8,000 times. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, welcome to our first ever fan-requested episode. Yes. Yep, yep. Do you want to go first or should I go first? Uh let's okay let's rock paper scissors because that's our now now our preferred method rock paper scissors shoot oh okay you're going first okay so this is uh the very first fan request that we ever got mm -hmm. and it comes from my mom from her hometown of fairmont west virginia and it's about a woman and her husband and their friend she went to high school with this woman oh okay so it's and, like, she grew up right around this area, so it's legit. It's a hometown murder. Mm -hmm. This is the sort of stuff that I, I really want to do with this podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Today I'm going to talk about the Windmill Park murders. The Windmill Park Windmill murders. Park murders. And that's in West Virginia? Yes. Windmill Park is uh, in Fairmont. It's fairly close to Fairmont State University. Is, and, okay, is it, like, a like a park that they've named Windmill Park, or is yeah. it, like, Windmills? No, it's a park that they named Windmill Park. Oh, okay. I was like, now I know I'm oblivious, but like, <laughs> those are some big like turbines <laughs> that I know I would have seen. <laughs> okay, so also this was in the 70s. So oh, okay. probably before we had those. Oh, okay. So this took place on August 2nd, 1974. 
and Fairmont was a pretty different place than it is now. Yeah. It was just sort of a quiet little sleepy town in West Virginia, and it had, you know, some industry in it, definitely, but it, it never had, had any, like, shocking crime. Mm-hmm. This was, to this date, the biggest story that had ever hit Fairmont, and they pulled everybody together on it, and it took, it took so long to solve this. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm super, I'm super excited. Okay. So... Setting the scene, early August in mm-hmm. West Virginia in 1974. It's really hot, but it's still like early morning. It's a little misty. Like okay. you can you can tell it's going to be a really hot day, but it's not yet. Okay. There were four men that came to Windmill Park to do the groundskeeping. Very early mm-hmm. morning, before the park opened up, before people would go. And like there was a, a baseball league that played there that was associated mm-hmm. with the college. Like... It was a fun place to go take your kids. Very idyllic. Nothing really bad happened here. It was kind of a popular place for, like, after hours, some teenagers would go drink there. But that's the worst that happened. Every one of our stories, it's just, like, the the location that we talk about is, like, and then teenagers would, like, have sex there. Because teenagers there. are the worst. Oh, God, y'all. I was like... the worst as a teenager. <laughs> I understand these people. I uh, I stayed at home and slept. I did not learn how to drive until I was 18 because I was like, no, I don't want to go places. <laughs> these men came into the park to do some groundskeeping and they found three people who were laying on the ground and it, they just sort of assumed, hey, they're like drunk kids because it's they're just they passed out and they're left over from the night before and we should go poke at them rouse them and get them to go home okay this is a murder episode (laughs) they weren't passed out (laughs) it did not go as planned did not the guy who discovered them was exceptionally freaked out for the rest of his life oh i would be too so he kind of went over and they were close to like a road that's close to the entrance of the park that goes to fairmont state Mm -hmm. and he was like really sure they were asleep but he tried to roll them over and realized that all three people had been shot execution style through the <gasps> back of their heads. Holy shit, in Fairmont? And it, in Fairmont, and had been lined up. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. In the 70s. What was happening in Fairmont in the 70s that that was a thing? Nothing. Exactly. That's the thing. This had never happened before. Holy ever, shit. Ever, ever. The, the bodies uh, were identified later as Guy Lester Phillips, mm-hmm. age 20. His wife, Wanda Jane Phillips, age 19, and Billy Ray Cobb, age 27. So... Was Billy Ray, like, one of their friends, or... Yeah, yeah okay. he was He was a close friend of theirs. He lived in the basement of the house next to theirs. Oh, okay. Um, and he was a little, I want to say mentally challenged. Not quite... Oh, not all there. Not all there. But... Yeah. Decent guy, from all appearances. Just very... All of these guys were very, very poor. Also, I have to stop and say... Every article that I found said Wanda Jane. My mom insists up and down to her grave that it's Wanda June, and all of the papers are wrong. <laughs> papers are wrong. So well, I mean, like, not inconceivable. Might have gone by that name. She. Well, I mean, she went to high school with this girl, Wanda June. Okay, Wanda June. Wanda. <laughs> From Wanda. this point on. Wanda. 
Okay, now that that's out of my system. Was was that some sort of like fairly odd parents Flintstones crossover? No, have you never seen fried green tomatoes? No. Or Wanda. Nope. Okay. You need to watch that movie. It's the best. Okay. I'll uh I'll get right on that. Anyway, they'd all been shot through the head with a 32 caliber gun of some sort. Mm-hmm. And it had happened I mean, very late at night, close to three in the morning, I guess. And there were no witnesses. Yeah. There was no forensic evidence. This was way before DNA. There weren't any fingerprints of the scene. There wasn't any, like, leftover trace evidence. Yeah. Some people had sort of theorized that all three of them had been killed at another location and then just moved to the park. And you said this was solved? Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. All three of these people lived around Montgomery Avenue in Fairmont. Wanda and Billy had just gotten married. They just had like a four-month-old baby girl. And... Is the baby still alive? Yeah, baby's alive. Someone claiming to be the daughter is sort of lurking around the comment threads on a lot of my sources. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's actually their daughter or if it's just like an especially vicious troll. Yeah. But, you know, if somebody feels like reaching out, you, you do you. Yeah. I wasn't going to. Yeah. Because that would make this investigative journaling instead of, I looked up some stuff on the internet and now I want to talk about it. Yeah, no. <laughs> we don't have the time to do investigative no. journaling. No. And I'm I'm not a journalist. I've never wanted to be. That seems like just not my thing. Fun fact, I have a journalism degree. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's one of, it's, it's technically a major for a Bachelor of Arts English degree, but it's a journalism degree. <laughs> okay. No, I didn't know that. Learn something new every day. Right. Okay. So all of these bodies, except for being shot through the back of the head, were really in pretty good shape. There wasn't any sign of struggle. None of their clothes were out of place. There weren't any bruises, any abrasions. None of them had broken bones. Like, n- there was just nothing other than three dead bodies with gunshot wounds yeah and there wasn't anybody coming forward to kind of explain this but this was absolutely the biggest story of the century it came out of fairmont (laughs) absolutely and so this immediately triggered a huge investigation there were on just this case two prosecutors a sheriff and a deputy a state trooper the chief of police three detectives and a few other people that were sort of associated with the case Mm -hmm. and there were over a hundred people interviewed and up to this point they hadn't even with all that manpower and even with all that focus and with as sensationalized as this was they couldn't find anything anything it's legit still a running joke i went to go and see one of my friends over christmas and we were talking about this podcast. She's like, well, if you want to, you know, dump a dead body, all you've got to do is leave it in Windmill Park. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. No. Well, that's like, I, because I worked for the prosecuting attorney's office in Hawaii. And y'all, if you want to murder somebody, do it in Hawaii. <laughs> and then just claim it as negligent homicide. Mm-hmm. You'll get probation and you won't see jail time. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there were... I mean, there were a couple of theories that they were working. Uh, People thought that it was drug related Mm because it it was the 70s. It was the mid 70s. And even though Fairmont was pretty isolated and pretty quiet, it wasn't immune from the fact that it was the 70s. Yeah. And there were a couple of other things. Another leading theory was that the murderer and the victims had all had a fight over money and possibly some stolen copper. 
that one didn't pan out so much mm-hmm. just because they didn't have any money or copper <laughs> or copper <laughs> they didn't have anything i mean yeah. literally billy ray lived like in the basement of a house that had been burned down oh my god <laughs> all right okay these two lived next door to a house that had been burned down, down. okay <laughs> like there was just there was not any money to go around there are a couple of different places where i found like wanda and guy were looking around trying to ask for money so that they could buy milk for their baby like they were so poor overall like this was a good investigation the police did everything that they were supposed to do but they were really overwhelmed yeah they'd never had anything like this before and it wasn't like you couldn't bring in an outside agency for this Mm -hmm. Fairmont, west virginia i feel is a lot like is a bigger version of Athens, West Virginia. It's sort of a blink and you'll miss it. And then, like, you get into it and you're there and then you're out of it. Yeah, pretty much. You know, you can go, there's, (sighs) between, like, the way that you kind of get to Fairmont now is you go on the interstate. Mm -hmm. The way that you used to get to there is you used to go through the old Fairmont Road, Mm -hmm. which would take you through. One of those winding, going up the down the mountain, around, Yep. yep. Around, across a bridge. Like, you've got a it's one of those towns that's built on both sides of a river yep and it's you know it used to be an old glass town Mm -hmm. and there was some coal mining that went around there and there was some other things that had built up the industry like you go through downtown fairmont and it's gorgeous old turn of the century architecture Mm -hmm. but it's i mean it's a small town anyway regardless they hadn't had anything like this before and they were like what do we do (laughs) um i'll solve household <laughs> what do um they just they couldn't get anywhere with it they'd interviewed all of these people there weren't any fingerprints there weren't there wasn't any dna there wasn't any other evidence if there were witnesses they were not coming forward no nope. these people were clearly pretty violent and mm-hmm. probably skilled fairly efficient it's not like you had every movie in existence that had an execution style shooting back in the 70s mm-hmm. This was something that you probably had to know how to do at the time. It, it was, yeah, it's, it's a skill you have acquired. Yeah. During all of these investigations, during all of these interviews, they picked out one guy that kind of stood out. His name is Eddie Washington. Okay. He's 21 years old at the time. Um, he was an African-American male that had previously been in trouble. Okay. And they tried real hard to pin this on him. mm they found out that he had been he had a parole violation for joyriding and they kept him in jail for 90 days while they investigated him good lord for joyriding for joyriding because they were looking at him as a murder suspect and that was the only thing that they could keep him for while they tried to build up this investigation okay it didn't go anywhere so they just kept him in jail for 90 days after that they had to let him go and then he was just in the wind yeah they didn't find him again for quite some time okay in this case despite all of the resources that have been poured into it and all the effort that people had put in and all of the gossip and everything it just went cold okay there were years that went by with no leads oh i can imagine the gossip <laughs> can't you <laughs> west for southern oh my god west virginia southern states are the best for gossip <laughs> i was thinking about it the other day about like how i, I 
I can't find anything and I can't give directions because I don't know street names. And I am one of like the 80th percentile in West Virginia that's just like, oh, you go up to the McDonald's. You know, Sally Ann works at the McDonald's. Her and Michael just had a baby. Isn't that cute? You go up to the McDonald's <laughs> and then you turn left. And like, that's that's all of West Virginia. Oh, yep. we're so good at yep. gossip. I absolutely, I absolutely have gotten directions like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this this case went for years with no new leads until 1982 when they found more bodies in Windmill Park. Oh, okay. So when was the first bodies found? 1974. And then it, they didn't find any more until 1992. 1982. These were new. But damn. But no, there were two more people that were killed and left in windmill park in 1982 oh uh, charles God. goff and kathleen jane williams okay charles what goff goff i thought you said goff i was like what an unfortunate name <laughs> <laughs> what a perfectly fortunate name what do you mean it's you got an identity name. right from the start yeah, that's true you know who you are it's in the name yep, yep. you don't okay. have to worry about like you can just skip straight to the goth phase. You don't need to sit there and like waddle around and like this, who am I? Just this like... Just go straight to the teenage angst and we're all good. This is this two-year-old plagued by teenage angst and wearing the trip two-year-old pants. version of trip pants. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Anyway, they were both from Morgantown and they were both found in Evergreen Cemetery, which is pretty much right next to the park. It's very close by. The prime suspect in that case was named Philip Bush. Okay. He was another African-American male that was in his early 20s during the 70s, and he was pretty close friends with Washington. Okay. Because the locations of the bodies were really similar and the way that they were found was very similar, mm-hmm. the police started to consider him a sus- or Philip Bush a suspect in the Windmill Park murders as well. Why did they consider him a suspect in the 1982 murders? Was there like a conflict or anything? Oh, no, he did that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. They were they were right on the money there. Yeah, no, that Philip Bush, he was just caught. Okay, <laughs> like, I see. Was just, that was investigated f- police work okay. that definitely led to the person okay. that did this. I see, I see, I see. He, he couldn't get away from police like mm-hmm. Washington did. He was tried for the double homicides in 1983, and he was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder by a jury in Wheeling. Okay. And they had to remove the case to Wheeling because it was also very highly publicized. In Fairmont. In part because it got wrapped up with Windmill Park. Yeah. It took 75 minutes for that jury to bring back a verdict. It takes like 75 minutes to read the form. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Damn. Okay. That jury recommended a life sentence in prison without mercy. Okay. So... He's used up all of his appeals. He's in prison forever. Yes. He's definitely been connected to the Windmill Park murders. He's just there. Yes. At some point after 1983, after Philip Bush was in prison and after Eddie Washington was... Gone in the wind, yeah. A witness named E came forward. No other identification. But he said that he had seen the original 1974 murders. He saw the person who committed them, and the person who did it was already in a state correctional facility serving two life sentences for having committed a double homicide. Obviously, Philip Bush. Jesus. Despite having that witness testimony, they still couldn't make this investigation go anywhere. Yeah, if your only evidence is one witness testimony after, like, so many years. Yeah. 
the Windmill Park murders were still cold, and they stayed cold until 2012. Damn. The Times West Virginian, which is a local newspaper, ran an article called Gruesome Discovery that September. Oh, no. And they reprinted interviews with people who found the bodies. They reprinted some testimonies from the police officers, and they also included E's witness statement. Mm -hmm. It's a very flowery article. It took me forever to find it. Actually, Actually, I've been looking for this since October. Is this where you emailed the newspaper? I had to call them. (laughs) I had to call the newspaper because I paid for the article twice and it still wouldn't let me view it because their website is broken. Oh. And I finally went and Jeff had to dial the number because I was too anxious. But I called (laughs) and I was the one that talked to her and I was like, what is happening? She's like, I'll just email it to you. It's fine. I'm like, that's not what I... Fine. Fine. (laughs) Oh, man. And it's just, it sort of reignited the interest in this case that at this point was close to 40 years old. Yeah. And the police kind of picked up the case again. Oh, wait. So they republished everything without any new information. They consolidated the information from the old investigations, including... How slow a news week was it that they went, well, it's... You know that murder like 40 years ago? <laughs> Let's just do a new print on Let's that. Just do a thing. I don't know. I feel like they did it almost as like a, if you read the Times West Virginian, okay. that's kind of the, the thing they do. The thing that they do. Oh, like I They see. have at least one of those every so often. Okay, I see. That's sort of cool, though. Yeah, they're a good newspaper. I like them. But police picked up the investigation again. Some of the information from an undisclosed source that came from interest in the 2012 article mm-hmm. pointed police back in the direction of washington oh and they now because it's 2012 are able to call in other people yeah to help them so they called in the u.s marshals Ooh. yeah and they were able to track washington down he was working as a janitor in florida of course it's florida <laughs> he had served prison time in 2004 for a cocaine possession And the marshals, along with the West Virginia authorities, worked on the cold case for about four months before they were able to gather enough evidence to arrest him. Damn. He was extradited back to West Virginia to face trial. And it's believed that Washington was an accomplice in the murders. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the one that actually pulled the trigger. That was probably Bush. Okay. But they couldn't, like, connect him to the gun. Mm -hmm. They couldn't find that any like evidence that was developed like any evidence that they found additionally that i haven't said wasn't disclosed to the media okay and i wasn't about to go digging that deep <laughs> you paid twice for one article twice you did your article. civic duty <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a trial for wash like there was a trial mm-hmm. but four days into it he entered an alford plea okay Alfred, please, by the way, are like, I didn't do it, but eh, you got me. <laughs> like, I didn't do it, but you, I can see clearly I'm about to go to jail. Yeah. So I'll sit here and maintain my innocence, which is important because then with an Alfred plea as opposed to a guilty plea, like you still have rights to appeals and all of that. It's very, it's a good thing that almost never happens. Yeah. And he was convicted on three counts of conspiracy to commit a felony. Okay. And the person who sentenced him was Judge Alloy. <gasps> I love oh, Judge Alloy. Judge Alloy teaches at our school, and he's just 
a perfect example of a human being. Like, he's he just really good. Is. Yeah, I love him to death. He's wonderful. He was so helpful whenever I was going through all the stuff with my dad. So mm-hmm. he's great. And then the other person who was an attorney in this case was Pat Wilson, which is the he's now a judge and Scott clerked for him. Oh, OK. Anyway, fun facts. Fun facts <laughs> about our life. Washington's going to get credit for time served, and he was sentenced from one to five years for each count, with two terms running consecutively and one running concurrently. Okay. So he'll be out eventually. He's 60 now. Yeah. And it does not look like he's in great shape. <laughs> Florida will do that to Florida. you. <laughs> Florida and cocaine. A, Florida da- a and terrible cocaine. combination. You know, I think that's just part of Florida. <laughs> Bath salts <laughs> and cocaine. There. So Bush never went on trial for the Windmill Park murders. I completely forgot about Bush and you said Bush and I was like, President Bush? <laughs> <laughs> Philip Bush. Philip Bush. Never went on trial for the Windmill Park murders. Mm-hmm. They were going to take him to trial. They had him set for a thing, but he had used up all of his appeals and was just going to stay in prison anyway. Yeah, so... It wasn't... Like, the Supreme Court refused to hear any of his stuff anymore. <laughs> it's like an ex that just won't give up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it would be a complete and total waste of resources to prosecute him. Mm-hmm. They know he did it. He's in prison already. Already, yeah. And he's in prison for homicide. It's not like he's in prison for drunk driving. <laughs> it's not like he's gonna be free anytime soon. Yeah. The police are really confident that they definitely have the correct person and he was sentenced appropriately and he's not going to get out. There you go. He's in Mount Olive now, I think. And um, that took 38 years. Wow. From start to finish. 38 years of a solved cold case. How cool is that? That's awesome. Especially from from Fairmont. Like, there's not a lot that comes out of Fairmont. No, not a whole lot. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. It really is. Okay, Thank so, you for sharing that with me. Yep. My sources are the WV Gazette Mail, the Times West Virginian, WV Metro News, literarybucket.blogspot.com, cnhi.com, the Times West Virginian again, and my mom. There you go. Your mom gets to be a source. She She has to listen to this episode now. I hope she does. I'm still caught up on the goth toddler. (laughs) I mean, I want a cookie, mommy, but like... (sighs) (laughs) It's not chocolate chip, is it? (laughs) I mean, like... Just look at this baby fat. What? (laughs) Stop giving me cookies. I can't fit in skinny jeans this way i'm gonna go listen to the cure you're too much (laughs) goo goo gaga okay okay we're good okay i love goth baby oh god i do too someone make that a character okay goth baby Um, what do you have for us this week All right. What has happened? Okay, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, to continue this fan-requested episode, uh, we got a request for Flint, Michigan. Mm -hmm. So I went on the hunt, and there's there's a lot of, like, murder in Flint, Michigan. (laughs) 
But one of the more interesting ones I found was Elias Abuelazam. Sure. Also, this request comes from Kelly Nerdzilla Mendenhall of the A Not-So-Mom Happy Hour podcast. <sighs> love her. I love her, and I love her work and her podcast and her dog. And her dog, so, right? That's the cutest dog I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you so much for sending this to us. Absolutely. And, uh, prompting us to do this story. You sent us that you were from Flint, and you wanted us to do a story from there, and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. But this is what we got, so... Thank you. Yep, yep. We love we love requests. We do. Yeah. Because you guys, it, uh, it helps make our lives a little easier. And we're like, well, somebody wants Flint, so let's do Flint instead of... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Instead of the rest of the states. Yeah. But no, if you want to check out a Not-So-Mom Happy Hour, they're really good. Yeah. One of the episodes of theirs, I think that might be my favorite, is they talked about um, the fighting girlfriend. <laughs> okay. If, Go look that up immediately. It is the most badass woman that I've ever seen before in my life. Okay. Okay. I will put it on the list. Do it. Okay. So, um, I think his name is pronounced Elias Abuelazam. I say Abuela because I took, like, four years of Spanish, and I can't read this any other way than Abuela. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, I say in a very thick country accent. So, he's also known as the Flint serial killer or the serial slasher. So, Elias was born uh, on August 28, 1976 in Ramla, Israel. He was the youngest child of six. He had five sisters. Uh, Because he was the firstborn son in a male-dominated culture, he was a little spoiled. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I actually took that quote exactly off of Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Um. His father died when he was a toddler, and he later told a a psychiatrist that he felt uh, that he had died with his father. Because it is a very, it's a very male-dominated culture, and so when his father died, he didn't have that um, male figure anymore, and he felt that he had died with his father. Um, So as a child, uh, he moved to the United States with his family after his mother remarried. He acquired a green card, but never gained U.S. citizenship. Because you you can be here on a green card. You're an LPR. You have a, a legal permanent residency, and it's up to you if you want to adjust to citizenships. But yeah. yeah, he was a D student. Uh, didn't have a steady job. Was financed by his mother. Sometimes used drugs, and sometimes got into fights. So he, I mean, he was kind of a troubled kid, but nothing like wild. Yeah, he was often described as a calm, quiet man, but prone to violent outbursts. Until 2008, Elias worked at Piedmont Behavioral Health Center, now called North Spring Behavioral Healthcare, as a mental health technician. Uh, after moving to Michigan, he worked as a clerk at Kingwater in, um, in Beecher from July 5th to August 1st of 2010. His legal address is actually Brandon, Florida, but he moved up to Michigan to be closer to his sister. He previously lived in Grand Blanc and most recently lived in a house belonging to his uncle in Maryland Avenue on Flint's east side. On July 30th, 2004, Elias married Jessica Hearth, also known as Jessica Nimitz and Jessica Abuelazam. Uh, they divorced in 2007. Jessica's father later said that Elias verbally abused his daughter. So he had just sort of bounced around the country and then decided that he wanted to go up towards Michigan to live near his, to live with his sister. And his sister was like, no, (laughs) I don't want you to live with me. 
And so he didn't have anywhere to go. And his uncle, who didn't want him to live with him either, was like, I don't want you to be on the streets. You can live with me. But they all seemed a little afraid of him. Yeah. And here's why. Um, So Elias is currently convicted and suspected of a string of 18 stabbing attacks in the spring and summer of 2010, which resulted in five deaths. I would say that's worth being afraid of. Yeah. Stabbing is a whole different thing from like No, that's shooting. very that's personal. That's very hands-on personal. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot more commitment than oh, yeah. pulling a trigger from and so you, far away. Like you, I mean, you're right up in your victim's face, too. It's mm-hmm. Most attacks occurred in Genesee, Genesee County, Michigan, particularly in and around the Flint area. That's why he's known as the, a Flint serial killer. Mm-hmm. Four stabbings occurred outside of Michigan, three in Leesburg, Virginia, and another Ooh. in Toledo, Ohio. Oh, you're getting around. Mm-hmm. Okay. He is also suspected in an unsolved case that happened in March 2008 in Leesburg. And May 22nd, 2010, he arrived in Flint. So he, it seems like he had been stabbing people and then came to Flint and it escalated. Okay. Uh, here's what i was saying however his uncle didn't want him under his roof so he was sent next door only two days after arriving david motley was stabbed with a hunting knife repeatedly in his stomach and chest so two days after elias got to michigan david motley was stabbed um by a suspect quote unquote take a breather man right his stomach was torn open almost from groin to chest oh god yeah Another victim had his guts ripped open. Like, this guy was a violent man. Yeah. Shortly after, Arnold Miner was found in a pool of blood. So these happened, like, bang on right on top of each other. Another victim was soon found. He survived, but he had to have 68 staples on his back and belly and slash wounds on his arm to keep the man. Like, he had 68 staples on his back and his belly, and he had slash wounds on his arm where he had like put his arm up to keep the man who was attacking him from quote unquote cutting off my face wow yeah oh that's a lot it is a lot police and prosecutors claim that between may and august 2010 elias would drive around late at night approach small framed men who were walking alone ask for directions or for help fixing his car and he would then stab them usually in the chest or stomach His victims were mostly African-American, which made police suspect all the murders were hate crimes. So on top of being a violent piece of shit, he's also a racist piece of shit. That's not good. No. Oh, okay. Uh, He was also suspected of having stabbed a friend in the face with a screwdriver. Yeah. While on a visit to his family in Ramla, Israel in early 2010. That becomes important later on. Police did not pursue this case because the friend refused charges. Okay. I guess. He's a scary man. Yeah. Leesburg police have said that Elias is also a suspect in an unsolved homicide from March 2009. So the investigation. On August 4th, 2010, Genesee County officials announced that a series of stabbings dating back to May 2010 were the work of one man. So they'd been investigating this and then they sort of connected them all okay a multi-jurisdictional task force was set up to investigate the next week police in leesburg connected three hammer attacks via their victims descriptions of the suspect 
video surveillance footage of the attacks that match his description and vehicle and the similar mode of operanda. Wow. Yeah, he had a whole bunch of evidence working against him. Dude. Uh, the next day, Toledo police Toledo police uh, claimed a stabbing of a black man there also matched the suspect. Okay. So he was arrested on August 5th, 2010 in Arlington, Virginia during a traffic stop. I've been reading The Stranger Beside Me, so like, I read that and I was like, oh, like Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's amazing how many serial killers get caught by traffic stops. It really is. Everybody needs to read The Stranger Beside Me. I Like, I know it's been on the market for a while now, but it's so good. And then there's the Bundy tapes on Netflix and this new M- Bundy movie that's coming out. I'm so happy. Like, I'm in murder heaven right now. <laughs> um, Elias was stopped during a traffic stop. He was taken into custody because he had a warrant out for his arrest for simple assault. However, he made bond and was released. On August 11th, 2010, he was arrested by U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers in Hartsville, Jackson, Atlanta International Airport. He was fleeing the country. Yeah. He was preparing to board a Delta Airlines flight, which is punishment enough, um, (laughs) bound for Tel Aviv, uh, the second most populous city in Israel. He was just going to disappear. Sorry. Yeah, no, Delta is awful, and I have no qualms saying that. John Mulaney is 100% right. Delta is hell on earth. Um, On August 13th, he waived his rights to fight extradition to Michigan, so they extradited him to Michigan. He was flown to Flint on August 26th and held in solitary at the Genesee County Jail. Uh, He was held without bond. So, during the trial, during the evidentiary hearing for the Arnold Minor murder case, the judge ruled that evidence of the other Genesee County attacks could also be used in the trial. So, all all of his attempted and completed stabbings are now on trial with Arnold Minor. Oh, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he's going to go to jail for that. Oh, yeah. Um, The trial began on May 8th, 2012. The prosecution's key piece of evidence was a drop of miner's blood on a pair of pants found in Elias's luggage from where he was trying to flee the country. (laughs) Don't pack your murder pants if you're fleeing the country. You can get more murder pants. (laughs) Like, you don't have to pack them to take them with you. (laughs) On May 15th, the prosecution rested after calling 50 witnesses. Oh, wow. Do you think the defense oh, attorney? Excessive. Do you think the defense attorney got the witness list and just looked at Elias and went, "Oh, <laughs> well, I think you so." Would... I think you should take a plea deal. I think, <laughs> as an attorney, you get this case and you go, "Well, shit." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, fifty witnesses, uh, including other victims and their relatives. So, this included victims and relatives. Wow. Mm-hmm. Serial forensic experts and Elias's own uncle, <laughs> who quote unquote assisted police in his capture. He was like, "No, he lives right down the fucking street. Go get him." <laughs> On May seventeenth, defense attorneys raised the insanity defense because what other defense do you have? You don't. Exactly. The, cl- the closest thing that you get when you see this case is maybe I'll try to make them not kill you back. Yeah. 
one psychiatrist said that Elias was a paranoid schizophrenic and that he had told him he had committed the crimes because of evil spirits. The doctor also said that Elias told him he attempted suicide in 1997 and was diagnosed as psychotic by an Israeli psychologist in 2009. Okay. The prosecution countered by bringing up that the psychologist's field of expertise was addiction medicine and not like... So, um, the prosecutor. Well, I don't know that that's super relevant. Like, you're still a psychiatrist. Well, yeah, but they also brought their own psychologists who agreed that Elias had an unspecified personality disorder and that he lacked empathy, but that his attacks were too planned out and organized for him to be considered legally insane. Fair. Yes. On May 22nd, 2012, after. You wanted to talk about 75 minutes. After only one hour of deliberation, <laughs> the jury found Elias guilty of minor's murder. On June 25th, 2012, Elias was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. So they didn't bring him up on any of the other charges because he was already there. Fair. Okay. Um, on August 26th, 2010, the... I'm sure I'm saying this wrong. The Genesee County Prosecutor's Office charged him with one count of assault with intent to commit murder for an attack on July 27th, 2010. On September 20th, 2010, he was charged with four additional counts of assault to commit uh, murder for victims Bill Fisher, Richard Broker, Etwan Wilson, and Devon Rolls. Oh, no, he was brought up on the other accounts. I'm sorry, I was wrong before. Okay. On October 8th, 2010, an Ohio grand jury indicted Elias and charged him with felonious assault and the stabbing of church janitor Tony Leno in Toledo, Ohio. Oh, the church, church janitor. What? <sighs> this man. On October 21st, 2010, he was charged with the murder and the stabbing deaths of Frank Kelly Brew and Darwin Marshall of Flint, Michigan. On November 4th, 2010, like it goes on, on November 4th, 2010, he was charged with two counts of resisting and obstructing a police officer causing injury and three counts of resisting and obstructing a police officer after he attempted to punch a deputy who had to be tasered and he had to be tasered with the help of four other officers on October 27th, 2010. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Oh, my God. You're not done. No, I know that look. You're not done. (laughs) On November 12th, 2010, he was charged with malicious destruction of property for smashing out the windows of a car belonging to James Augustberger. And on November 23rd, 2010, he was charged with assault with intent to murder in the stabbing of Antoine Jackson on July 12th, 2010 in Burton, Michigan. That's... Before he was in jail. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Okay. So uh, appeals. Because of course he's well, yeah, everybody yeah. appeals. Um, Elias's attorney filed an appeal based on the original trial judge's rejection of a motion for a change of venue due to the extensive media coverage of the case. Because it was a big thing in Flint. Which Elias's attorney claimed wrongly called him a serial killer and refuted the judge's decision to allow evidence of the other attacks or testimony of his other alleged victims. Okay. He also went to trial specifically for those victims, too. You're going to be in jail for a while, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, On June 10th, 2014, the Michigan Court of Appeals upheld the conviction. (laughs) Good. Yeah. Uh, He then appealed that decision to the Michigan Supreme Court, which declined to hear it on November 25th, 2014. Good. Yes. 
Now to his lawsuit. Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> what lawsuit? Oh, it gets better. On August 1st, 2014, Elias filed a case in federal court against the Immigration and Naturalization Service and the United States Attorney General asking to be deported to Israel and face charges of the attempted murder that happened in Latern on October 1st, 2009. So he wants to be extradited to Israel for an attempted murder he did there. But because he's been convicted in U.S. courts and he has a green card, we have jurisdiction over him and can keep him here. Right. Michigan authorities say it's legally impossible because of Elias's life without parole status since convicts cannot be deported until after their full sentence is served. And his is life without parole. So he's in the United States forever. Yes. The lawsuit, as far as I know, is still going on. I don't think it's been heard yet. I think there's, like, procedural stuff that they're going back and forth. I don't think it's going to be successful on his part. I can't imagine it would be. Especially since it doesn't seem, nothing I found seemed like Israel was like, no, we want him. He must. (laughs) He must come back. Israel's just sort of like, he's life in prison there, whatever. So, (laughs) other... There's more. Oh, my God. This is a treasure trove. He's so violent. He's so violent. Uh, State prison records show Elias has continued to be disciplined for multiple violent interactions with guards and other inmates, including fights, threats, and possession of a large shank made from plexiglass. Where the fuck did he get plexiglass? I mean, there's places in prisons to find that, but... A large one, though. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I just, I'm imagining, like, this huge shard of plexiglass, and it's just, where, why would you have a huge shard available? Well, I mean, a large shank is not yeah. necessarily a large shard. I know. I know. Like, those larges don't match up. Like, I'm assuming it's about maybe a foot long. Yeah. yeah. Or a foot big and a half for a shank. big for a shank definitely yeah. will get the job done probably yeah. not large for what we think of as a shard of plexiglass yeah he once threatened to cut a guard's head off after the guard asked if he wanted yard time it was a female guard she was like do you want yard time and he went i'm gonna cut your head off okay those two things don't probably add not <laughs> Uh, He said everything was blown out of proportion, but admitted to making the comment as he was angry about the quality of prison food. So he admitted that he threatened to cut her head off because he was angry that prison food wasn't good. Okay, if you're going to be mad at prison food, maybe don't stab that many people and make yourself go to prison. Don't don't go to prison. If you don't like prison food, don't go to prison. Yeah. And I mean, there are... Listen, there are widespread systematic injustices that put people in prison that absolutely oh, should yeah. not be in prison. Absolutely. I don't think he's one of them. No, no, he belongs there. Um, in another instance, a guard came to a cell after hearing a loud banging coming from the cell. When asked if he was kicking the cell door, Elias responded, yes, I was, and you will not violate my rights. If you violate my rights, you will be punished. So he's one of those assholes, too. Oh, good lord. Okay. Yeah. He <laughs> Last bit of fun fact uh he was also attacked by other prisoners <laughs> oh he has also attacked other prisoners not was attacked oh by. okay but that's all i have for elias Ab- abuelo zam yep. he is a very violent man who is currently serving life in prison and wants to be extradited to israel okay well thank you yes uh my sides are from wikipedia murderpedia um 
Prison brings prisoner brings weapon attacks and threats from suspect Flint serial killer on MLive.com. Like that was the headline. Okay. And uh the serial killer podcast. Okay. Yep. Nice. Violent man. Very. Yeah. It just kept going. Like it no, just it does. It really I, when I was doing the research, I was like, and then this happened, and then this happened. And, then, <laughs> and it wasn't like um all of the the stabbing seemed to happen within like a three to four year time window. Yeah. But like all, all of his court cases were like, and then he was brought up on this, and then he was brought up on this, and then he was brought up on this, and then he could fly, and he was brought up on this. It and... took like two months. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah, but no, I, I firmly believe prisons should be places for people that we are afraid of, not people that we are mad at. Yes. He is a person to be afraid of. Oh, absolutely. For sure. He, his family was afraid of His uncle was like, no, nah, it's him. <laughs> I haven't seen He's down the street. I don't want him here. <laughs> Listen, you catch him, I'll help you any way I can. So, yeah, that was Flint, Michigan. Uh, if you guys have any other suggestions that you would like, just your hometown, you don't have to give us, like, the name of a murder if you don't want to. If you just go, hey, look into Oregon, we'll be like, hey, that's a good idea. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I, we had so much fun doing this. And oh, yeah. It's been a great time trying to research from people that actually listen to us. Yeah. So definitely, you know, please, um, if you have your own hometown story or your own hometown that you want us to cover uh you can follow us on social media we're at w-i-y-h-t on twitter we're at what's in your hometown on instagram and you can write into us at what's in your hometown at gmail.com absolutely uh we would love to hear from you as always and as always with all the weird and scary shit in the world you have got to wonder what's in your hometown bye bye, bye.